Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, and that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. The teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who will have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Thanks be for the word of God. What we pray? <laughs> no, I got it. That's good. We'll pray anyway. Uh, Father, thanks. Uh, thanks that this has worked out. We do ask, Father, that your word would be open to us by your spirit, uh, that you would challenge us, change us, convict us, comfort us, uh, and build us into the likeness of Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Now, um, some things matter and some things don't. There are, there are things that perhaps um, you want to get right, but it's not catastrophic if you don't. Like, um, I, if, if you know me, you know I, I don't really like fish to eat, okay? There are a few fish, though, that I absolutely love, and this is one of them, okay? Uh, so if you're a fisherman, what's this? Or a fisher, fisher lady, what is it? It's not just a whiting. What kind of whiting? It's a King George whiting, Okay. Okay, these are really, really nice. And if you were to prepare one and you were to get it wrong, it'd be, it'd be hard 
It'd be tragic, perhaps, but it wouldn't really be devastating, would it? Okay, what are the consequences? You've just ruined a nice, probably very expensive piece of fish. But let's keep going with the fish theme. This guy, if you prepare him wrong, does anyone know what he's called? He's a blowfish, okay, or a puffer fish. Uh, Japanese delicacy called fugu, okay. Fugu, uh, you get it wrong, dizziness, exhaustion, headache, nausea, breathing difficulties, and perhaps even death. If you get preparation of fugu wrong, there is a lot at stake. I understand from my extensive research on this yesterday uh, that uh, the liver is the most toxic part of the blowfish. And uh, so the diehard fugu lovers of the world, they will have a liver party. And what happens is the chef prepares the liver in a very particular way. Then he samples the liver or she samples the liver, waits half an hour. If the chef is still alive at that point, the party goes on. Okay, there are some things that matter, there are other things that don't. It takes these guys four years to get the license, minimum. Hundreds, thousands maybe fish prepared to just make sure you get this right. Some things matter, other things don't. Now, we've been working through 2 Timothy and Paul's final words uh, to his disciple, to his friend, to a man that he describes as my dear son. Uh, He is laying out the pattern of Christian life and ministry. And like Fugu, there is an awful lot at stake here. We are looking at four points this morning. I've worked hard. They're all got P's. Patterns, possibilities, peril and promises. So if you're following, you're taking notes, that's where we're going. Uh, Helpful to have your Bible open in front of you as well. The pattern. Now, Paul has been laying this out for us, hasn't he? He's been taking Timothy again and again and again back to God's word. So chapter 1, verse 13, he tells Timothy to keep the pattern of sound teaching. The next verse, he tells him to guard the good deposit. In chapter 2, verse 2, he tells them to pass it on to those who can then teach others. And so you get the cascade effect as the truth is passed from Paul to Timothy to others, eventually to us. And we have the responsibility to pass it on again. And here, Paul tells Timothy to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. If you remember, Paul is in Rome, he is on trial, he does not expect uh, to be delivered. But the word of God, God's word, is not chained. Has Timothy forgotten Jesus? Why does Paul write this? Paul's not saying, ah, you've forgotten the gospel. But he's saying you need to have it front and center. You need to call it to mind. You need to reflect upon it. You need to consider it deeply. Not just the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, his name. You need to remember 
the gospel. And Paul summarizes it for us here in terms of the resurrection, Jesus' victorious resurrection over uh, sin and death and evil, and his descent from the line of David. So the Old Testament promise, that promise that God was going to send someone from the line of David to set all things right. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is his shorthand way of saying the gospel. And he says, you've got to hold this. You've got to guard this. You've got to reflect on it deeply. Because this, this is the pattern for life and ministry. And it is high stakes. Paul, uh, in another part, we have uh, a story. You might be uh, familiar in the book of Acts. Paul's traveling around and as as he comes towards the end of the book of Acts, he's heading back to Jerusalem where he knows he's actually going to be arrested because the Holy Spirit has told him and he's going to go uh, into uh, the situation I think that he finds himself in now. And uh, in Acts 20, he meets up with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And so like we have in 2 Timothy, Paul's final words to Timothy Luke records for us in Acts, Paul's final words to the leaders of this church. And you'll see the the common ground. He says in verse 20, he says to these leaders, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. Paul says that his ministry has been a word-centered ministry. It's been a ministry of proclaiming The word of God in verse 24, his aim is only to finish the race, to complete the task that Lord Jesus had given given to him. What is that task? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. His ministry is word centered. If he is going to build churches, the word of God is the indispensable ingredient. You've got to get it right. Verse 27 Paul says to them again, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. It is word centered. Paul had modeled this for Timothy and he then lays upon Timothy. This is the pattern for the church going forward. Look at verse 14. He says, keep reminding God's people of these things. What are these things? the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and more fully, the the scriptures. He tells in 4.24 that those who lead God's people, they must be able to teach. In verse 25, they should be gently instructing opponents. The word of God is the key component of Christian ministry. He tells Timothy, as Matt uh, illustrated for us, Uh, He tells Timothy to present himself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. This is critical. This is critical. The word of God must be at the center of the life of each individual Christian. And of the life of a church. So the word of God must be at the center of 
the leaders of the church. So Trinity Church Brighton, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in the next senior pastor of Trinity Church Brighton? Are you looking for a smooth administrator? That's good. Are you looking for someone with all sorts of gifts? Well, there's one that is absolutely core. And Paul lays it out. He says this person must be able to teach the word of God carefully. He must be able to proclaim the word of God in its full context. He must be able to speak of Christ as the fulfillment of God's word. What are you looking for? What do you expect? What should you pray for? You should pray for someone who comes and guards the good deposit, who maintains the pattern that Paul laid down for Timothy and has been passed down. This is what you look for. This is the pattern. Brings us to our second point. Possibilities. So what's at stake? Literally, heaven and hell. Eternity is at stake. Verse 10. Paul endures everything for the sake of the elect, those that God has chosen, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's ministry is one of eternity, that as he labors, as he suffers, salvation is at stake. Remember Peter? Jesus is one of other one of Jesus's apostles. When um, Jesus has been uh, speaking in John chapter six, and all the crowds are turning away from him because they don't like what he's saying, and Jesus turns to the disciples, the twelve, and he says, "Are you going to go too?" Do you remember Peter's response? Where else have we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And these men, these witnesses, they recorded for us those words. And it is the Spirit who inspired them to write those words. And it is the Spirit who takes those words and applies them in our lives. We have the words of eternal life. And that is why Paul worked and suffered. That is why we labor. Paul here says, heaven and hell is at stake. He names two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and he says they have departed from the truth. Why does that matter? They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. They destroy the faith, the trust that those people have placed in God through his word. These men, by, his, by their teaching have trashed some of those who are inside the church. What is at stake? Heaven and hell. Paul warns Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying, verse 11. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Positive, encouragement, comfort, if we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, 
He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Paul says we must endure. If we disown him, he will disown us. And then he says, and if that was to happen, if our faithlessness comes to pass, that doesn't mean that God himself has failed. God is faithful. He is true to his promises. Our faithlessness is not a reflection on those. His promises stand. Some of you might be thinking, what about, you know, once saved, always saved? I thought Christians couldn't fall away. I thought that's what you've been teaching. If you're a bit more techie in your theological thinking, what about the perseverance of the saints? Is this teaching us that the elect, that God's people can fall, that you can lose your salvation? No, it's not. But, but, it says in verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. What is the sign of the elect? We don't have badges. We don't have secret handshakes, or maybe you do, but I don't. Uh, we don't have access to the book of life. Who are the elect amongst us? The Bible teaches those whom God has chosen endure to the end. Will the elect fall? No, God, will, God knows those who are his. But the elect will hear the warning. The spirit will prick the conscience when they are going astray. The spirit will bring them back to obedience to the word of God. If you're worried about falling, that is good. The scriptures warn us again and again. If we disown him, he will disown us. Hear that. And you think, no, I would never. Praise God. Praise God and pray that by the grace that is ours in Christ, we will stand. Not by our own strength by what he has given us. True conversion. The elect endure. So press on. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. Because there are enemies out there. There is the peril. Now, characteristically, there are three chief enemies. Does anyone know these? You should. Okay. They are the world, the flesh, and the devil and New Zealand. Sorry, um, you weren't here last time for me to make that dig. So, you know, anyway, no. The world, the flesh and the devil. Enemy number one. It's interesting, Paul's not really phased about enemy number one. He's in prison. He's waiting execution. So there it is in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 6 through the start of chapter, uh, verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He's basically saying the world is going to do its worst. And if church history is right, uh, he will uh, lose his head under the reign of Emperor Nero in the not too distant future from these words. Paul is not particularly phased. Although he is in chains, what does he say? The word of God 
is not chained. The world will do its worst. A couple of centuries later, a Christian leader by the name of Tertullian uh, would write, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. When the church faces opposition from the world, the church grows. China, they kicked out the foreign missionaries back in the Cultural Revolution, uh, or the Communist Revolution, the earlier one. Uh, And there was great wonder, what was going to happen to the church? The doors open up decades later. And it's estimated that somewhere between 70 and 100 million Chinese name the name of Christ. The church flourishes under persecution. The world, the flesh. Paul tells us that we have an indwelling enemy. Sin has been conquered on the cross Sin has been dealt with. Its power over us has been broken, but it remains. And it remains at work in us. And here Paul has been talking to Timothy about the quarreling and the fighting. He tells Timothy in verse 22 to flee the evil desires of youth, to run away from them. What are these evil desires? Well, he doesn't spell it out, but the opposite is to embrace Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. To flee sin and to embrace the things of God. Because the flesh will oppose the work of God in us individually and amongst the church. And can I say, it's not just the young who have to flee the evil desires of youth. He could have written, if Timothy had been a bit older, flee the evil desires of middle age. And if you're perhaps a little bit older than middle age, flee the evil desires of old age. You know that they're there, don't you? They remain. John Owen uh, was a man uh, who spent a lot of time thinking about this. uh, And there's a lot we can learn from guys like him. Let me give you a quote from Mr. Owen. Looks very serious, gentlemen, doesn't he? He says, when sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. In other words, never. (laughs) But as sin is never less quiet than when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still, so ought our contrivances, our efforts against it, to be vigorous at all times and in all conditions, even when there is least suspicion. What he's saying is when you think you're on top of sin, that's probably the point where you're not. And so never let up your vigilance. Never think, I've got this, because this stands against us and against God's church The flesh is a real enemy. Paul tells Timothy to flee. He tells us by the spirit to flee evil desires. But this one seems to get Paul's major focus. The devil and working through false teachers. If you've got your Bibles there, 
open up and have a look at verse 26. Well, I'll read from verse 25. He says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. It's a stark thing, isn't it? That, that there are those in the church then and now who have been taken captive to do Satan's will. It's a horrific thought. And they do it by teaching, teaching things in error. Alexander and Hymenaeus, they claimed the resurrection had happened and they were destroying the faith of some. You know, I like to put pictures up here. I did show a picture to my son of uh, gangrene, one nice one that I found. I chose not to show it to you this morning because we would have had to put vomit bags around on the seats. He describes it in a way that was graphic. Their teaching spreads like gangrene. It eats out and it makes it putrid. It destroys the faith of some. And what's the solution for gangrene? Amputation. It's brutal. But you know what? There's more here in view. I don't think Trinity Church Brighton anytime soon is going to fall into uh, such obvious false teaching. I don't think anyone's going to stand up and say, the resurrection's happened and you'll go, oh, really? Oh, well, I better give up on my faith because I've missed out. He warns Timothy about something more subtle. Paul gives us a spectrum and on the far end are the Alexanders and the Hymenaeuses and the Philetuses and those kind of guys that are there who are denying core truths. But leading up to that, kind of like one of those travelators we find in an airport. You know, you get on at one end and then it just takes you in and just, just keeps on going. Let's go back to the close end. Because I don't think we're at the, at the far end yet. But our danger is a bit closer in. In verse 14, Paul tells Timothy to warn the church before God about quarreling about words. In verse 16, he tells him to avoid godless chatter. In verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. What are these things? What are the disputes about words? What are the stupid and foolish arguments? We don't really know. But you can see the effects. What do they do? They produce quarrels. They divide Christian against Christian. They produce more and more ungodliness. You can see the fruit of these arguments, whatever their issues were. What might these issues be for us? I think we see this where people take things that are important, 
but not gospel. And they make them gospel. It's funny. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, a man who I hold in very high regard, a a minister in another state. And we were talking, I, I rang him up about this passage. And I know that he has a particular issue. Uh, one that he and I have a slightly different opinion on. And, um, and, and I was talking to him and I brought up this issue. <sighs> Thank you, David. I brought up this issue. And it was really interesting that he did what I think is the dangerous thing, where he actually said, oh, but that's not really a secondary issue. He took this issue, I'm not going to tell you what it is, it doesn't really matter, you could take your pick, there's a whole lot of them. Is it uh, dating of creation? Is it gender roles in ministry? Is it spiritual gifts? Is it the return of Jesus? Is it baptism? Is it particular things about the Lord's Supper? You keep on going, there are things that Christians have divided over for a long, long time. We agree about the gospel, but we differ on this. Oh! Oh, but that's not really a secondary issue. That's a primary issue. And so what you start finding is that God has brought us together in the gospel and then we divide ourselves apart. Paul tells Timothy he must be able to handle the word of truth carefully as a worker approved. And what is that? That is actually discerning what is core, what is critical. And what is important but not core. What is it okay to say, this doesn't doesn't divide us? These guys had come in and said the resurrection's happened. That's core. But a slightly different view on spiritual gifts, a slightly different view on gender roles in ministry, does it mean that we as a church won't have opinions about that? No, we will. But in the years I've been here, I've always said, Let's remain in fellowship. Let's keep talking. Let's keep going back to the scriptures. That is core. But if you come in here and say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Jesus didn't die for sins. I'm here going, actually, that is not, you will not teach that. That is, that is core. And we must stand on that. But I think these foolish arguments when people take things that are secondary or tertiary or even further down and say, this is the thing. And so you start having Jesus gospel plus and that divides and that creates quarrels. There are dangers, the world, the flesh and the devil. But the great thing is there are promises Paul tells us in verse 21, he says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter. He's using an image of a house with some, uh, some clay pots that you use for all sorts of, you know, garden refuse, putting out the compost, you know, the chamber pot, that kind of stuff. And you've got the, the items of gold and silver that you entertain the emperor when he comes visiting, if he did. <laughs> you know, you've got things for noble Uh, use you've got things for common use and Paul says if you cleanse yourself from the common stuff in verse 21 you'll be instruments for special purposes made holy 
and useful to the master. What is he saying? He's saying if you keep the pattern of sound teaching, if you guard the good deposit, if you remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead of the line of David, if you hold to the pattern, if this transforms your life, transforms your church, then God will use that. This is the promise that God will use you, that God will use us in his purposes to achieve his glory. That is there. And can you imagine on the day, Paul, we talked about it last week, Paul spoke of the Thessalonians, the, the church in Thessalonica as his crown. Imagine the joy that Paul has to see that church that he had the privilege of preaching into existence through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. As you stick to the pattern of teaching, as you remember Jesus Christ, as you commit yourself to be ready to do any good work in his name, God will use you. That's his promise. And on that day, you will see how God has done that. And imagine your joy as you glorify God for what he has done. Because on that day, Paul tells us in verse 11, that if we died with him by faith, we will live with him. The words of eternal life, eternity open through the gospel. But it's not just living with Christ, it gets better. If we endure, what does Paul say in verse 12? We will reign with him. It's an incredible image. One that uh, blows my mind. I can remember singing, um, the, I think it's the Wesley hymn. And I can remember someone after, afterwards coming up and saying, I can't sing those words. Bold I approach the eternal throne. And claim the crown through Christ my own. That is the promise. Stick to the pattern. Guard the deposit. Remember Jesus Christ. If you endure by his grace in his strength, you will reign. Let's pray. Father, what a word this is. What an incredible privilege it is to speak it. And Father, we praise you for your Spirit's work in inspiring it, Timothy's, uh, or Paul's words to Timothy and your Spirit's word to us. Father, let us always remember Jesus Christ. Let us stand firm. Let us hold fast. Let us trust in your grace, never turning to the left, to the right. Father, let us live in the victory that is ours in Christ, the victory over the world the flesh, and the devil. And Father, we long for the day where we see the fruit of the work that you have done through us as well as the reign that we will share with the dear Lord Jesus. And in his, his name we pray. Amen.